Well, welcome to Northridge Church. We're so glad that all of you are here. We barely have enough seats, apparently, for today, but we're so glad that you're here. And uh, it probably is the sun shining, right? I mean, you were like, hey, we can get out of bed today, right? We can do this. But uh, we're so glad that you are here on this graduation Sunday. And I just one more time, graduates, I just really want to say congratulations to you guys. That's a huge deal, huge accomplishment. So congratulations to you guys. I pray that you would just do awesome and mighty things going forward uh, from these days out. Um, We are in our AD series. We're right in the middle of it. We're kind of actually past the middle of it. Uh, But this AD series is when we are taking a look at the specific stories and events and things that the believers in Jesus had to go through, had to deal with, and that they had the opportunity to experience right on the heels of Jesus rising from the grave and ascending to heaven. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump in and get us right up to speed because we're going to pick up right where we left off last Sunday as we've done over the last several weeks. So to get us up to speed, Jesus dies on the cross. He's buried for three days. After three days, he raises from the grave. He rises from the dead. And then 40 days later, after being seen by hundreds of people, he uh, ascends to heaven. And so Jesus takes off. He leaves. And the disciples, the apostles, and all the believers, there are about a 100 of them at that time, the Bible tells us, a little over a 100. Then they are tasked, given the mission of going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody. And so they go back to the city of Jerusalem and they start there and they begin to tell everyone they can about this love of Jesus, the salvation that can come from Jesus. And as they do that, as we found out, we've talked about the last several weeks, there was a lot of people that didn't like that. They didn't like the message of Jesus. And so the the Christians, the early followers of Jesus, they begin to be persecuted for their faith, for their commitment to Jesus. And so as this persecution starts, they begin to spread and they begin to go out into all the cities and towns and villages around Jerusalem in the area of Israel and eventually the Middle East and eventually it goes to the Roman Empire and eventually it goes to the world. So it's a pretty amazing progression and they grow exponentially in just a matter of a few weeks. It goes from just over 100 people to tens of thousands is what the Bible records and talks to us about. So this thing grows exponentially really, really, just really fast. And so now we pick up the story. Last week, we talked about a guy named Saul. Saul is the face of the persecution against the believers in Jesus. He's like the guy. He's the poster child for the persecution against these guys. He's the one leading the charge. And But then what we found out last week is he's on his way to the city called Damascus. And he's on mission to go arrest Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem to either have them executed or to have them thrown into prison. And so he's on his way to Damascus, but on the road, he has a dramatic encounter with Jesus. Jesus shows up right in front of him. And as a result of that encounter, Saul becomes blind and he has to be led to the city of Damascus. And a few days later, a man named Ananias, who's a faithful follower of Christ, follower of Jesus, he shows up at Saul where Saul is staying and he lays hands on him and he prays for Saul and Saul's sight is restored. And then Ananias prays with Saul for him to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. He accepts Jesus. And Saul goes 180 degrees. And he becomes a new person who goes from persecuting Christians to being a Christian. Pretty amazing transformation. And so we're going to pick up the story from that moment after Saul has accepted Jesus. And now we're going to find out what happens in the next part of this story. So he's in the city of Damascus. He has just accepted Jesus. And now we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 9. If you'd like to follow along, go ahead and join us there. 
Acts chapter 9, verses 19. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So Saul is completely and utterly changed. So we're going to talk about two things out of these stories, and that's not the end of the story. We're going to continue on in chapter 9 here in a few moments, but... In this first part, we see one of two things, and we're going to talk about two things this morning, that you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, if we are followers of Christ, two things that you and I must believe in, two things that you and I need to believe in, but not only belief. Belief is, is really the starting level. We not, need to not only believe in these two things, but we need to practice them daily. Two things that we need to believe in completely, and we also need to practice daily. These few verses that we just read give us the first thing that we need to believe in and practice, and that is transformation. If we are followers of Jesus, what happened to Saul, we need to believe can happen to anybody. You and I, we need to believe that the power of God, the power of Christ in us has the ability to transform a life, to completely change it to do 180 degrees and shift it from going one direction to going the other direction. We need to believe that transformation is truly possible, that it's actually possible, that God can change a life from one direction and take it to another. Now, again, Saul, understand Saul in this passage, he still looks like Saul, right? Although we don't know, it sounds like maybe some of his appearance and maybe how he looked to people did change. We get glimpses of that in the scripture, In the word of God, when we read more and more about Saul, who eventually becomes the Apostle Paul, who writes a good portion of the Bible, (laughs) this is a big deal that he was transformed. And so Saul, he, he doesn't maybe look any different, although maybe a little bit, but the true transformation was in his heart, in his soul, the direction that he was going. Saul was hating anybody who believed in Jesus. And because of his encounter with Jesus, that power changed and shifted his direction completely to where now he is defending the faith in Jesus. And he is actually defending the Christians instead of persecuting them. That's a huge, huge change. But if we're not convinced about the transformation, let's read on just a little further in the story. So Saul is preaching boldly to everyone he can find in Damascus. This is what happens. Verse 23. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him, kill Saul. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. So if we were not sure whether or not Saul was transformed, let's say Saul is just putting on a show. Now the people are really believing that he has accepted Jesus. And now they're saying, okay, we're going to kill him because we can't handle this. He was going after the Christians. We can't take this anymore. So we need to take him out. He's doing a lot of damage. 
And so they are waiting at the city gates. Remember, cities at that time, they were walled. They had walls around to protect them. And you had gates to get in and out of the cities. The only way to get in and out. Well, the believers, they realized, okay, we've got to smuggle Saul out of the city. We've got to smuggle him out. And so they lower him in a basket over the city wall. That would have been fun, right? I don't know how big the basket was. Hopefully it was kind of big, right? But they lower him over the city wall. They're like, how are we doing? I don't know. We need more rope, (laughs) right? But they get him down over the wall and he heads out and he goes to a new place. Now, Saul, if we're not sure if he's transformed, that should prove it. Because as soon as things get a little intense... In fact, I would say that persecution is one of the greatest ways to determine who's really a follower of Jesus and who's not, right? That should be very, very clear. When they start to threaten his life and he says, nope, I'm going to keep preaching. And the believers are like, that's great, but we need to get you out so that you're still alive, so you can continue to do this. And so they get him out on the basket. The transformation is true. It actually is happened. It's real. So transformation is one of those things. And the question is for you and I, if this is true, if Saul can be transformed, if he can go from killing Christians to becoming a Christian, which is about as 180 degrees as you can get, if that can happen, then the question becomes for you and I, can that happen for us? Can that happen for other people that are not sitting in the chairs right now here in the Village Center at Northridge? The question for you and I is, do we believe that that can actually happen? That that's real. Because it's a great story. But if it doesn't become real to us, what does it mean? What good is it to us? And so the question is, how does that mean? What that means is you and I, we need to believe in it, but we also need to practice it. So, this is going to bring it home a little bit, but think about it this way. Think about that person that you feel they're never going to change. Think about that person or that group of people or that person in your family who drives you up the wall or that neighbor who you just, you run when you see them come out of their house. You're like, I'm not going out to mow my lawn right now. No way. And there's something about them. There's something there or they've done something to you that just, and I want you to think, can God change, transform a life? That becomes a question. Do we truly believe in that? Well, how you act toward that person, how you treat them, how we go about our day tells a lot about what we believe in, doesn't it? Transformation. Is transformation real? Is it honest? Is it true to you? Can it actually happen? Can the power of God move a life from one to another? Okay, so that's the first thing. Transformation is a big, big deal. But there's one more thing that I think God is going to show us through this story that you and I, we need to not only believe in, but we need to practice on a daily basis. Let's continue on. Verse 26 and 27. Saul ends up going to the city of Jerusalem. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Understandably so. He's been trying to kill him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas, who is a believer... Brought him, to, uh, brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Okay, just take a pause there. In other words, what's going on is Barnabas said, Saul is transformed. Okay, there was a lot of words to say that, but that's what's going on here. Barnabas goes in there and says, listen, Saul is a different person. 
He's not the same guy that you've been seeing. He has changed. He is a different person. He may look the same, but he is different. He is a brand new person, completely new. That's what Barnabas is saying. He's vouching for them. Okay, so let's go on to the next, see what happens. Verse 28 through 30. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. Things are going really well for Saul early on. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. So they've had to smuggle him out of two cities already. Right within the first few days of him accepting Christ and, and becoming a follower. Okay, what, what I want to talk about, though, is the, the second thing that you and I, we need to believe in. What does this show? Because you read that and we don't get it. The Bible doesn't expressly tell us what just happened between verses 26 and 28. Okay, Saul tried to meet with the believers and they said, uh, no, we're going to stay in hiding. So Saul didn't even, he couldn't even find them. He didn't know where they were. And then all of a sudden, verse 28, and Saul is now hanging out with them, preaching with them, and eating with them, and they're, they're, they're best buddies. How, what happened in between those one or two verses? Well, let me tell you, this is the second thing that we all need to believe in and we all need to practice on a daily basis. This is going to be a harder one. Forgiveness and reconciliation. This is a huge deal. Here's what the apostles have done. Okay? Not only did they have great faith in God, not only did they have great faith, in, because understand, okay, listen, th- hear me out on this. If Saul wanted to kill the believers, if he wanted to throw them into prison, what would be the obvious, probably the best way to do that? Hey, I'll be, I'll accept Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christ follower. Yeah. Hey, take me to your hideout. That'd be great. Okay. All right. Get them guys, you know, and they're gone. Wouldn't that be the easiest way to do it? To put it off and say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Ha <laughs> ha. Got him and take him. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be the easiest way to do that? If Saul was really underhanded, which he was, <laughs> before he was transformed. But not only is that pretty amazing that they had great faith to trust in enough in Saul and enough in God that he could do that. I mean, think about that. That's pretty amazing faith. To say, yeah, I believe he's changed. I believe he's not putting one over on us. Yeah, I believe God could do that. And they bring him into the fold. Are you kidding? But what's even more amazing, like exponentially beyond that, is that they were willing to forgive Saul for what he had been doing to them for the last several weeks and months. Understand, this is the guy that has been trying to kill them. This is the guy that has, they've literally watched Saul drag members of their family and loved ones and fellow followers of Jesus off to prison or off to be executed. They've watched Saul do this. They've seen him do this. They've heard about all the stories. They know what he's been doing. And so now Saul says, you know what? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And the apostles do. They do. I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing stuff. I don't know about you, but that's, that's difficult. I, I, I think about somebody hurting somebody that is very close to me. And that's a hard dynamic. It's a hard thing for me to think about how forgiveness comes into play there. And God, this is what God says, that we need to believe in this. 
They gave forgiveness and reconciliation. Notice that two things had to happen in order for Saul to be able to preach with the apostles. What two things had to happen? One, Saul had to come to them and had to seek forgiveness. Didn't he? He had to do that. You know he didn't come in and be like, Hey, I know I did some stuff, but we're good, right? Woo! Let's go. Let's preach about Jesus. You know that didn't happen. (laughs) You know the apostles didn't were like, Yeah, we love you. That's great. No, he saw, we all know Saul had to go in there and seek forgiveness. How did he do that? Well, he went in and he explained to them, listen, this is what I did. That's why I did it. I was a different person. I was wrong. And I'm, I'm saying I'm genuinely sorry. I messed up big time and I hurt you. Will you accept me? Will you be able to forgive me for what I did to you? He had to seek forgiveness. But then the second thing has to happen on the heels of that. In order for reconciliation to happen between two people, between a group, one group of people and another group of people, what needs to happen? Reconciliation. How does that work? Seeking forgiveness is one. But then the second thing that has to happen is you have to actually give forgiveness. Right? You have to offer forgiveness back. They have to seek it, but then you need to give it. Yes, I will forgive you. Both of those things happened in this case. Saul sought forgiveness. The apostles gave it to him. And then they moved forward. Now, here's the question for you and I. The question for you and I is, if we are supposed to be believing in transformation, if we are supposed to believe in forgiveness and reconciliation, if that's true, and I'm telling you that the Bible says it is, that this is true. It's something we must believe in. If we are believers in Jesus, the Bible says this is something that God can do. Absolutely. Like it's, it's not a question. It absolutely can happen. So the question for us is, what are we going to do about that? What does that mean for you and I? What can we do? Well, it's two sides. Remember those two parts that we just talked about with Saul and the apostles, what had to happen? Well, one, all of us are in probably one or two of those positions. In fact, depending on what has happened in our past, we might be in both of these positions. For example, the first one. Think about some of the conflict that you maybe have had or still have in your life today. With other people, family members, neighbors, friends, co-workers, people at school. Right? Graduates, this is applying to you too, right? Some of you have maybe had conflict in high school. One of the greatest things would be to take care of that before you go into the new season. Wouldn't it be great to go into the new season free? How many of you want to go into a new season of life free? Here's where this goes. If you are the one who did the hurt, if you're the one like Saul, maybe, who did the wrong, maybe it was abuse, maybe it was anger, maybe it was something you did long ago, maybe it was something you did recently, maybe it was, I don't know what it is, but there are a thousand things that we could come up with, uh, whatever it is, but if you were the one that did the wrong, then, then here's what this means for us. As if we are followers of Jesus, if we believe in this, this is what it means for us. What that means for us is we need to take a step and seek forgiveness. It's very simple. It's not simple to do. (laughs) It's not simple to do at all. If it was, then we wouldn't have wars. We wouldn't have all this stuff, right? Because we'd just be like, oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. You know, and we just work it out. If it was easy, we'd just do it. But it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. 
But what we need to do is we need to take step. What's the step that we need to take? We simply need to make a call. We need to write the letter. We need to start the email. We need to just open up the process and say, here's what we need to do. When you apologize, when we seek forgiveness for whatever the wrong is that we did, and we, we make our children do this because I hope that they, I hope, I hope that they will reconcile as quickly as they can with, no matter what happens in their life, whether they're hurt or whether they do the hurt. They have to say out loud what they did. Because let's be honest, if we don't say out loud what we did, then the hurt is not real, is it? It's not real for us who did the hurt. It's not real to the person who was hurt. We have to say what we did. We have to say we're genuinely sorry for it. And we need to ask specifically for forgiveness. So if we did the hurt, that's one way that we can take this step and take this on. The second thing is, if we were the ones hurt... this is going to be a harder one. (laughs) You thought that was hard. (laughs) This is a harder one. If we were the ones who were wronged, and my guess is probably, by the way, my guess is both of us, a lot of us in here, maybe most of us in here, have been in one of these two positions or maybe are in both of these positions. We've done some wrong and we've been wronged. And so if we've been wronged, really the step that we can take is to start seeking reconciliation. What does that mean? Then you maybe, maybe need to take the first step and offer forgiveness. And by the way, this is a hard one, I know, because a lot of times when we offer forgiveness, the other person is not even ready to say they're sorry. Am I right? That's what hurts. That's what really hurts. And if we are, if we are going to seek reconciliation, then let me just tell you, For you, forgiveness, here's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness is not about letting that person off the hook. We've said this many times at Northridge, haven't you? If you've been around Northridge, we've talked about this before. But forgiveness is not saying what you did was okay. It is not saying that. A lot of people think that. Did you know that forgiveness has nothing to do with saying that that was okay? Not ever. No, it's not saying that's okay. It's not saying that it's okay to do ever again either. It also, by the way, if I say I forgive you, I'm not saying I'm going to trust you for the rest of my days. I'll just, all my trust in you now. I forgive you, so trust is there. Doesn't mean that either. What forgiveness is, is more for you. When you forgive somebody, it releases you from the burden, from the have to of having the hate toward that person. Of giving them the power over you. That's what it is. Forgiveness is saying, I am, letting, I, I am allowing my hatred to go away. Now, whether or not they apologize, that's on them. If you do your part to reconcile a relationship, that's on them, right? And that's why I always talk to people and say, you take the step that you know you need to take. If they don't take it, you can't control that. And that's okay. But we truly believe in transformation, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And the question is, what needs to happen for you guys. What is it in your situation that you need to do to achieve forgiveness and reconciliation with the people around you, the people that you love most? Maybe that's the hardest one. In 1994, in a small country of Rwanda, actually I have a map of it to show you where it's at. It's kind of East Central Africa. 1994, this was about 21 years ago. Uh, one of the most horrific, awful things in human history happened there. 
Uh, some of you probably remember what happened there. Um, there's two tribes in Rwanda. There's the Hutu tribe and the Tutsi tribe. Okay? There's two main tribes, groups, ethnic backgrounds of people, the Hutu and the Tutsi. And these two tribes, they, they just hate each other. They've hated each other for a long time. Well, in 1994, it boiled over to where the Hutu tribe, they got a lot of people in power in the government and in radio and, and just kind of in the power positions in the country. And all of a sudden, there was something that happened, and I'm not going to get into all the histor- historical detail, but essentially something happened that triggered all the Hutu deciding to call for genocide of all the Tutsi. They said, let's wipe them off. Let's just wipe them off the face of the earth. Let's get rid of them. We're just going to kill them all, and then we're done with them. I mean, talk about pure evil. Okay, we've, we've heard about some of these things in history, haven't we? Well, this is what happened in Rwanda. The Hutu went after and they just started literally, and we're talking villages where half were Hutu and half were Tutsi tribe. And so literally half of the village was just wiped out. Neighbors would go after neighbors and they'd, just, they'd, start, they'd literally attack them and, and chase them off or kill them. Horrible things, like stories that I, I can't even talk about here this morning. Literally just stuff that we won't even talk about. Just awful stuff. Really, really bad. Genocide happened. Well, finally, the Hutu or the Tutsi tribe, they gained control of the country. But it took about 100 days, almost three months, a little over three months. But by that time, the devastation was pretty nasty. Uh, Between half a million and a million people had been killed. Just like that, in a matter of three months. Between half a million to a million. We still don't have any idea how many were actually killed because it was so widespread and crazy during those three months. Here's the reason I tell you that. We've been talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. Well, last year, 20 years after 1994, this this genocide happened in Rwanda. 20 years later, so it was just last year, a photographer and a reporter, they went to Rwanda with the goal, with the the purpose of finding stories of reconciliation and forgiveness between the Hutu perpetrators and the Tutsi tribe who were survivors. They wanted to see if it existed. They wanted to see if forgiveness and reconciliation was actually there. And interestingly enough, they found hundreds of stories of forgiveness and reconciliation between these two people. And what I want to do is, they, they, what they did is, when they found these people, is they, they took pictures of them. And, uh, and what they, here, I just want to explain this before we get to it. Uh, they, they, when they found the perpetrator, the one who committed the crime... And usually it was killing their family members or destroying their home or, you know, doing some other awful things to them. There's a perpetrator in the picture, and then there's the person who was perpetrated against, the survivor. And they put them together. Remember, these are all people who already have forgiven each other and sought reconciliation. They've, they've had some semblance of relationship back together. Okay? And what the photographer did is he took pictures of these people together. And then he took a quote from them. And what they had to say about the forgiveness and reconciliation process. And I want to show you just, uh, there's, there's several pictures. I just want to show you a couple of them. The first picture, let's show the first one. And this one, uh, the, uh, the survivors on the left and the perpetrators on the right. And you can see that, that they're not like best friends, right? But the, the fact that they are standing within a few feet of each other is huge. Like you cannot fathom how huge this is. Because of what he did to her and her family and some of this. And this is, I wanted to read, this is what the, the man, the perpetrator, had to say after the forgiveness and reconciliation process. They, they are actually together now and friends. But when she granted me pardon or forgiveness, 
All the things in my heart that had made her look at me like a wicked man faded away. In other words, forgiveness and reconciliation changed how she viewed him and how he viewed himself. It's pretty amazing. Pretty powerful stuff. I want to show you the, the second picture. The second picture, um, the, uh, the survivors on the right and the perpetrators on the left there. And you can see they're even a little bit more amicable. <laughs> and by the way, they usually don't smile in pictures. That was just, that's just a culture thing. That's not you know, anything else. Um, and, and this is what the woman on the, on the right there had to say. This is, this, is what, this is her quote in the reconciliation process. And she, you can tell she had a little bit more of a process <laughs> to go through the reconciliation process uh, with him. After I was chased from my village and Dominique, who is the man in the photo, and others looted it, I became homeless and insane. Later, he asked my pardon or forgiveness. And I said, I have nothing to feed my children. Are you going to help raise my children? Are you going to build a house for them? The next week, Dominique came with some survivors and former prisoners who perpetrated genocide. Some people who had killed her family and village members. There were more than 50 of them and they built my family a house. Ever since then, I have started to feel better. I want you to listen to this last line. I was like a dry stick. Now I feel peaceful in my heart. And I share this peace with my neighbors. I share these pictures. And you, you should check them out. They're amazing. You go on there, just type in, you know, uh, I, don't, I can't remember what the name of the project is. Actually, offhand, I had it in my brain just a second ago. But go on there, check it out. It's pretty amazing. But if you look at this, the reason I share this is if we can see reconciliation and forgiveness that God can do in the hearts and lives of these people. And by the way, a lot of them share that that story, it's the power of God and the mercy that they showed him, that they, they share that, that there was a big part of the process and the reconciliation with this. The organization that did that kind of uses, talks about Jesus and goes through some of those things that, that led to some of these. But you go through this and I want to share those pictures because I want you to realize Forgiveness and reconciliation is truly possible. If it's possible in Rwanda, after what happened there, it's absolutely possible here. Absolutely, truly. With God's power, anything is truly possible. So here's what I want to do. I want to end. I know this is a heavier one. I know this is a harder one because forgiveness and reconciliation does not come easily. I know that. So here's how I want to end today. We're going to play uh, a video of a song and uh, the song is by Matthew West. You've probably heard it. The song is simply called Forgiveness. <laughs> it's a pretty good title. And I want to play this song, and I want, here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> I want you to do this honestly. I, I, I don't want you to just enjoy the song, although it's a good song. I want you to consider, while we play this song, I want you to listen to the words, but I, the, the biggest thing, the biggest hope and prayer that I have is that while we listen to this song, that you would think about who you need to seek forgiveness from. Who do you need to offer forgiveness to? Who do you need to reconcile with? Because here's the deal. What I think we would rather do is we'd rather sit there in our anger and our hurt and we'd like, like to hold on to it because it's easier to do that, isn't it? It's easier to do that. I understand that. I've been there as myself. I understand that. But the far more power and the way that you're going to gain freedom in your life through God's power 
is to forgive, to allow yourself to be forgiven, to seek reconciliation with those relationships that you have. Those relationships that maybe have been broken a long time. So as we play this song, just rest, just sit back, and I want you to think about what it might be in your life this week that you could take a step to reconcile a relationship that you know you've wanted to do for a long time and just free yourself from that burden. Commit to do that today as we listen to this song and let God just speak to you. Open yourself up to God that way. prisoner that it really freezes you. Forgiveness.
whatever God brought to your mind. Um, my suggestion is, because I, I think if you don't do this, I don't think it'll happen. I'll be honest. I think you need to write it down. And I don't want you to put it on a connector, and I don't want you to turn it in. Because I don't, I don't need to know about it. <laughs> Somebody else does, though. I don't know what God brought to your mind, but I know he did. Because I know he's been messing with my mind all week long as I've worked through this. So whatever it is, I pray that you just believe that God can transform you and can transform the other person. So my encouragement is write it down. You don't have to show anybody else. It's between you and God and that other person or that other group of people. What I want to do is I want to just pray real quick right now that we would be free if we would seek reconciliation, forgiveness, true transformation. Would you join me? God, I pray for everyone in this room, myself included. God, that you would set us free. You would set us free from hate, You'd set us free from hurt. You'd set us free from wounds. Wounds that we committed and wounds that we have been committed against us. God, thank you for forgiving us before we ever accepted it. Thank you for loving us before we ever loved you. I pray that we would be able to take even an ounce of that and take that to those around us, to those in our past, to those right now in the current, in our sphere of influence, our friends, our family, neighbors, co-workers, students, everything. May you give us freedom that can only come from transformation and forgiveness and reconciliation. We pray for this. We ask for this, God, by your power, by your name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen.